Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. When I was a teenager, I was involved in youth legislature and, and other similar groups. And, and I was pretty naive at times, to be honest with you. I mistakenly thought that when we would go to the legislature and, and sit in the same seats as the real congressmen sat in and, and passed pretend bills and, and debated the issues of the day, that it was about an honest debate and listening to both sides and making educated decisions. I thought that that even in the real legislature, that there were rational arguments made on both sides. And, and from that, they would come up with the best course of action on each bill. I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> that line of thinking was definitely not correct. Liberals, I have found, rarely have a rational debate to share. And they're... Their thinking is based on feelings and not on logic and reason. If it doesn't feel good or could potentially hurt someone else's feelings, then that takes top priority. And this is why we get so many of these stories about what we can and can't say now. In an article from Joseph Curl, the Daily Wire, comes this headline. It says, now woke scientists are gunning for words and phrases they think should be banned. whoops, (laughs) shouldn't have used gunning in the headline. That's violent. Apologies. (laughs) Members of the uh, Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Language Project, that's a mouthful, right? Founded by scientists in the U.S. and Canada, have put out a list of harmful terminology, as they put it, in science, and they want these things banned. Now, writing in the, the Trends in Ecology and Evolutionary Journal, the scientists say that they want to champion exclusive language in science, which is particularly important for redressing the ongoing marginalization of many groups. Ah, they got in all those great liberal words. But wait a minute. Are we going to exclude words so that we can champion inclusive language? Hmm. They laid out 24 words and phrases to to which they object and offered replacements. They they don't like things like feminized or masculinized. Uh, Feminized implies that feminine and masculine are biological traits rather than social constructs. Oh, but wait a minute. They are biological traits, but they, but they say instead, they, they suggest we, we, um, we say something like describe the specific traits rather than saying that somebody has been feminized. They don't like blind, for instance, or, or of course, double blind. That's, that's doubly wrong. Uh, these, these two kinds of experiments scientists sometimes run and they'll run like a, a blind um, or a double blind survey or whatever. Uh, But why don't they like these things? Well, they say that these are disability metaphors. Survival of the fittest. Nope. That's out. And Charles Darwin, (laughs) he, he, you know, 
he used that a lot. The, the, the phrase implies, of course, eugenics, they say, and ableism. So we don't want to use survival of the fittest. Instead, they say you should use natural selection or survival differences. And all of these terms are horrible. Master, master file, master equation, master variable. Nope, that is not good. Can't use those anymore. Per, these, these perpetuate harmful stereotypes and, and connotations to the enslavement of people of color and normalizes language uh, implicated with slavery and enslaved people. This is what these scientists are saying. Instead, we should use primary and, and main document and primary uh, e equation and, and just the word variable. Weirdly, they don't like the word rape either. <laughs> it equates rape with reproductive strategy rather than a violent or traumatic act, which can lead to dangerous misconceptions that a natural behavior and the use of the term forces survivors to to be confronted with it, which is traumatic. Instead, we're supposed to use forced conception. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess that solves it, right? I mean, I mean, if if somebody, let's say, they had to go through something like that, and that would be terrible, obviously awful. But using forced conception rather than rape. Really? That's going to help them? How about uh, male and female? Well, those are out. These terms are used to reinforce societal imposed ideas of sex binary, emphasizing cis-normative and heteronormative views. Instead, here's, here's what we need to be using instead of male and female. <laughs> Sperm-producing, egg-producing, or XYXX individual. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could, I, I, you know, I could do a million podcasts on these. <laughs> the project by the scientists follows another titled uh, Evolving from Violent Language, which was created by Anna Taylor, a communications director at Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Champion, is what she calls herself, at the uh, technologically comp uh, technological company uh, Phen Phenomenex. Uh, the guide, as they put it, this is this is a quote. The guide is for those who would like to replace mostly violently framed idioms with more positive and inclusive language. This is what Taylor uh, said. the The guide offers new um, acceptable phrases. <laughs> uh, quote: I won't avoid it any longer. For I'll bite the bullet. Uh, instead of um, using the word. Uh, we're going to pull the trigger. We're supposed to say now we're going to launch for. <laughs> uh, how about uh, can you send me an email instead of can you shoot me an email? That would be terribly violent. Uh, that was a bit excessive is now in, but that was overkill is now out. <laughs> uh, let's not focus on that anymore. Uh, instead of, let's not beat a dead horse. <laughs> you knew that one was coming, right? Oh, and I love this one. I'm going to nosh heavily on that taco instead of, I'm going to murder that, those tacos. Oh, okay. <laughs> I made that one up. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it doesn't stop there. It really does. It, it just never ends. 
the ultra woke are are coming for more and more words and phrases and that they deem ultra violence. They abhor things like jump the gun, uh, roll with the punches, or even deadline, claiming that they're just simply too violent, right? Our words are so, so violent. And for the record, the word deadline was first recorded in 1864 during the Civil War. As, as both sides captured prisoners of war, um, a do not cross line was traced around the, the, the prisons and, and the guards were ordered to shoot anyone who might cross that dead line. And by the way, jump the gun has nothing to do with violence. It really doesn't. The term actually comes from uh, sporting contests like uh, like foot races and, and and track and field type things, uh, delineating when a, a runner uh, started too early or jumped the starting gun. But never mind all that. The language police have deemed them offensive and, and demand new softer terms to be used. For instance, they say the phrase, kill two birds with one stone, which originated in China in the 1600s, must be replaced with feed two birds with one scone. (laughs) I have to say, that may be my favorite. (laughs) We're not supposed to say that we're going to kill two birds with one stone. I actually often say that line. Uh, We're supposed to say feed two birds with one scone. So, but we can laugh at all of all of this all we want, but it does really get serious at times. I mean, this this war against the woke culture, uh, it, 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 it is a serious thing. And here's a story that I, I really wanted to bring to you because I really think uh, it, it's it's a tragic story, but it also has has really a good ending in a way. So let me re- let me read this to you. And let me let me convey this. Uh, this story. It's Juan Elias or Juani uh, Rizisco, who um, he, he watched his city explode and his family's uh, empanada restaurant collapse during the summer of 2020. When riots broke out across the nation and in the aftermath uh, of the death of George Floyd, uh, he, he he watched his, his family's uh, business just completely implode. But Unlike many of his fellow Chicago small business owners, Riesco, who was 29 at the time, never bent the knee to Black Lives Matter and never wavered in his faith. The, the, the second son of immigrant parents, Riesco, uh, had, had helped uh, transform his family's tiny grocery store on the city's west side uh, into a popular restaurant. And, and players for the Chicago Bulls, actually, were, were known to frequent Nini's Deli for the, the Cuban-Mexican fusion dishes inspired by Mexico, where, his, where Riesco's mother uh, was from, Julie. That's, uh, that's where she was born. And his father's homeland, Cuba. He said, we would serve them the same exact way we would serve the, the single mom who lives down the street. Noting that Yelp named Nini's the highest rated restaurant in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois. The family's success held a brand deals um, with with Nike and with Adidas, uh, glowing praise from local media outlets even, and and even made Riesco's something of a local celebrity uh, who, who delivered keynote presentations at the Apple Store openings. 
The restaurant uh, restaurant's runaway success came to a halt in the summer of 2020, though, he said, when Nikki's was the only business that didn't make Black Lives Matter-oriented posts within moments of everything happening. Riesco told the Daily Wire that he hesitated to immediately endorse the social movement out of concern, its tenets did not align with biblical values. He says, I definitely needed some time to pray on it. I was getting a lot of pressure to make a post about Black Lives Matter and and how I stood with George Floyd and and stood against the police. And as a born-again Christian, I do not stand against the police. And, And I also do not stand arbitrarily for any political movement just because people are telling me to do so. Days after another business had posted black squares on their social media accounts, Riesco instead shared a statement about the values of all lives, including black lives, because of the reality that all lives are made in God's image. The statement, well, it angered local uh, social justice activists who would eventually drive his family out of business and even out of the Windy City. But Riesco had his Christian faith and and the the hearty stock passed down from his parents to lean on. Riesco's family, Jose, uh, his, his, his father, Jose, uh, immigrated to the United States from uh, communist Cuba after serving a five-year prison sentence for helping his neighbors hide their guns from the Castro regime. regime. He later married Riesco's mother, who had immigrated to Chicago area from Mexico alongside her parents and siblings, and the couple earned a living through the small grocery store they managed underneath their apartment. Now, Riesco and his older brother, Jose, learned early on that from their father that communism, embraced by you know openly Marxist Black Lives Matter, was a dead end. He said, quote, Even before my family was Christian, I had always operated under the, the principle of better dead than red, he said. Better to be dead than to be a communist. Despite the lessons of their childhood, both Juan and Jose found trouble in their teens, and the the boys gravitated toward petty crime and and running with the wrong crowd. Juan was uh, is candid when discussing his past, um, even his promiscuity in in homosexuality, which led him to to move to San Francisco for a time. But when his parents threatened to stop supporting him unless he moved back home, and after Jose's profound religious conversion, things changed for both the boys. Within months, Riesco had, like his older brother, fallen to his knees and surrendered himself to Jesus. He quickly began to utilize biblical principles in every aspect of his life, including the family business. He said, quote, I started to apply Christian ethics to our business, he recalls. And I believe God honored that because I was seeking him first, ultimately, and, and, and allowing the things that I was learning through the reading of the Bible to influence my workplace. The only reason why we were good servants is because we believe Christ first served us. And so therefore, we would gladly and willfully serve our community or whoever came into our business. None of that mattered to the mob, demanding atonement 
for Riesco's family for a killing committed by a you know Minneapolis police officer who was already under arrest and would later be convicted of murder. The crowd wanted total submission, if not in person, then on social media. Quote, many times, he says, the people who have th- these worldviews are insecure in their spiritual identity. He said, we know that the Bi- what the Bible says, there is no rest for the wicked. We know they will never find that rest they're searching for, no matter how many likes, retweets, or positive and reaffirming comments that they get. Beyond the thousands of negative comments and death threats Riesco received on social media, hundreds of Black Lives Matter supporters, uh, supporters protested outside his business. Riesco, his brother, and other members of, of their church chose to preach the gospel on the side of, sidewalk outside of the restaurant and attempted to explain the meaning of their social media statement. However, protesters had overwhelmed police officers tasked with protecting ninis and doused the restaurant pink wall with black paint. One vandal painted a massive black fist resembling the Black Lives Matter logo onto the restaurant wall. And death threats prompted the Riesco's, his, his pregnant wife, and their infant daughter to move to Dallas, where he found work as the family stayed in motels and Airbnb rentals. Quote, God always made sure we had room to sleep, a room to sleep in, a roof over our head, food on, the t- on our table. And he continues by saying, King David writes, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. And I really mean that God has never abandoned us, not even a moment. He's met our financial needs. He's met our physical needs. He's met our spiritual needs. And I'm closer to him than ever, he says. Over the next year, Riesco would occasionally hear from people who had heard him preaching outside the restaurant. And he said he continues to receive emails from people who once protested his family's business and have since experienced conversion. Riesco and his family returned to Chicago and tried to reopen Nini's. And after a year, however, there still wasn't enough business to pay the bills and Riesco sought work. But he said, you know, prospective employers always seemed to pass on him after searching his name online and learning of his prior problems with Black Lives Matter, an organization which, of course, has since been accused of squandering tens of of millions of dollars and doing little to help the cause it claimed to embrace. Riesco found himself returning to the street evangelism that he loved and began ministering to mothers and fathers outside of abortion clinics, which has now become a full-time position for Riesco with a ministry called Love Life. He says, every time I preach the gospel of love and grace to one of these people, I'm reminded how I would be exactly in their shoes had Christ not saved me. Despite losing his family's business and struggling to raise his own family over the last few years, Riesco believes that he made the right choice. And at 31, he hopes to inspire others who might otherwise remain silent in the face of social justice ideology and and other contemporary anti-biblical movements. He says, quote, my family lost our business. 
and we lost our family's members who now barely talk to us at all, he said. My brother lost his job. My sister-in-law lost her job. But I want to say this. God has never failed us. At every corner, he's met our needs. Now, Wani, I will say, made a big, big sacrifice fighting the woke culture. And many have. He's not the only one. And there are many ways to fight these unbiblical theologies. From um, uh, uh, Bree Wise, actually, of the New York Post, she says that there are no laws permitting honor killings. There are no formal social credit systems uh, of, of the kind that exists right now in China. By any measure, we have achieved incredible progress and enjoy extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary freedoms in this country. And yet, people aren't acting that way. They are acting increasingly like subjects of a totalitarian country. These people write to me daily, she says. They admit to regularly con- uh, censoring themselves at work and with friends, succumbing to social pressure to tweet the the the, the right hashtag, to um, you know to parrot the the slogans that they do not believe to protect their livelihoods. These people aren't crazy; they are scared, and for good reason. How much does it cost me to log on to Twitter and accuse you right now of, of an ism? America is fast developing its own informal social credit system. And as, 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 as a writer, uh, as, as the writer uh, Ron uh, uh, Dreher has noted, in which people with the, the, the wrong politics or online persona are banned from social media sites and online financial networks. When everything is is recorded for eternity, when making mistakes and and taking risks are are transformed into capital offenses, when things that were common sense until two seconds ago become unsayable, people make the understandable decision to simply shut up. Do not nod along when you hear the following, that Abraham Lincoln's name on a public school is or his likeness on a statue is white supremacy. It is not. He is a hero. That's that separating people into into racial affinity groups is is progressive. It it is a it is a form of segregation. That rooting um, that that looting has 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 no victims, and that's untrue. And that small business owners can cope away because because they have insurance. That's nonsense. That any disparity of outcome is evidence of systemic oppression. That's false. That America is evil. It is the last hope on earth. It's time to stand up and fight back. And that means you, social conservatives. The How about the, the never-Trump Republicans, the anti-Trump Republicans too, uh, lukewarm liberals and, and libertarians, progressives who have a, a little you know, curiosity still left, a, a, exhausted parents who want nothing to do with politics, the, the, the Joe Rogan stands, the, the, the Reddit revolutionaries and the, and the hedgies getting, getting crushed, Facebookers and, and email chainers and Etsy shop owners and, and boomers who still use AOL accounts, <laughs> 
Start with the following 10 principles. Number one, remind yourself right now of the following truth. You are free. It's true that we live in an upside down time in which pressing the the like button on the wrong thing can bring untold consequences. But giving in to those who seek to confine you only hurts you in the long run. Your loss of self is the most significant thing that could be taken away from you. Don't give it up for anything. Number two, be honest. Don't say anything about yourself or others that you know is false. Absolutely refuse to let your mind be colonized. The first crazy thing someone asks you to believe or to profess, refuse. If you can, do so out loud. There is a good chance it will inspire others to speak up too. Number three, stick to your principles. If you are a decent person, you know mob justice is never just. So never join a mob, ever. Even if you agree with the mob, if you are a decent person, you know betraying friends is wrong. So if a friend or a colleague does something that you disagree with, write them a private note. Don't be a snitch. Any mob comes for them will come for you. Number four, set an example for your kids and your community. This means being um, courageous. I understand that it's hard, really hard. But in other times and places, including in our own nation, people have made far greater sacrifices. Think of those honored dead who gave the last full measure of devotion. If enough people make the leap, we will achieve something like herd immunity, right? So jump. Number five, if you don't like it, leave it. A class in in college, a, a job, anything, Get out and do your own thing. I fully understand the impulse to want to change things from within. And by all means, try as hard as you can. But if the leopard is currently eating your face, uh, is currently eating the face of the person at the, the cubicle next to yours, I promise it's not going to refrain from eating yours if you post the black square on Instagram. Number six, become more self-reliant. If you can, learn to use a power drill. Do it. If, if you've, you've always wanted an, an outdoor solar hot tub, make one. Uh, learn to, to poach an egg or, or shoot a gun. Most importantly, get it in your head that platforms are not neutral. If, if you don't believe me, look at Parler and look at Robin Hood. To the, to the extent that you can build your life to be self-reliant and not 100% reliant on the web, it's a good thing. And it will make you feel you know, really powerful and, and content, which you are. Number seven, worship God more than Yale. In other words, do not lose sight of what is essential. Professional prestige is not essential. Being popular is not essential. Getting your child into an elite preschool is not essential. Doing the right thing is essential. Telling the truth is essential. Protecting your kids is essential. And how about number eight? Make like-minded friends. Then stand up for them. Uh, Two good tests. Are they willing to tell the truth even if it hurts their own side. 
And do they think that humor should never be a casualty, no matter how bleak the circumstances? These people are incredibly rare. And when you find them, hold on tight. And number nine, trust your own eyes and ears. Rely on on firsthand information from people you trust rather than on a media spin. When you hear someone making generalizations about a group of people, imagine that they are talking about you and react accordingly. If people insist on spouting back headlines and, and talking points, make them prove it in their own words. And how about the last one? Number 10, use your capital to build original and interesting and Well, generative things like right now, how about this minute? Every day I hear from those with means, with children at at private schools who are being brainwashed, people who run companies uh, where they are scared of their own employees, people who donate to their alma mater, even though it betrays their principles. Enough. You have the ability to build new things. If you don't have the financial capital, you have the social and political capital or the ability to sweat. The work of our lifetimes is the great build. So let's go, right? I think these are great. I think these 10 things are awesome and a great way to fight that cancel culture. And if we let it go, if we let it consume us in our, in our society, then we have given up on a God-given, a God-given country, a God-given blessing to the world. And, and you may agree with that, and you may completely disagree with that. But I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And, of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.